Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Good morning. This is Attorney Vincent Davis, and this is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives, or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning, and this morning I'm broadcasting live from New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I had to come out here for a funeral, and so I'm still doing the show live today. It's uh, 10 a.m. New Orleans time and 8 a.m. Pacific time. So wherever you wherever you are, I hope you're listening to the show live. Uh, today we're going to talk about... Um, a little bit about civil rights cases against social workers, counties, and states. In most of the country, um, the CPS uh, juggernaut system is run by uh, each particular county in a state. And the state uh, really just administers the program and the federal money along with the counties. But in some states like Arizona, um, the state actually administers the CPS uh, program. But I'm going to be talking about um, cases against uh, the governmental entity. So it really doesn't matter whether it's state or county. In our office, we like to do things. We like to do uh, cases um, against social workers in counties where uh, the rights of the parent or the child have been violated. And in such cases, uh, you can uh, sue the social worker in the county uh, for what's called civil rights violations. Um, and usually they're violations of what they call substantive due process or procedural due process. Uh, that's the 14th Amendment uh, right that every uh, citizen and actually non-citizen have uh, to be protected against governmental actors and governmental entities. Um, a little later on, I'm going to be talking about a case that um, a couple cases actually that we did in our office uh, recently and tell you how we sued social workers and how we sued the county for these civil rights violations against family members. But just in general, um, you can sue the social workers if your um, Fourth Amendment rights have been uh, violated. And those are your rights to, uh, your rights that you have to be protected against illegal searches and seizures. Uh, and in this case, it's seizure of your children. Um, the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution requires that uh, before you can seize a child, uh, the social worker must have one of two, one of three things actually. Number one, they must have a warrant from a judge or a court of judicial officer. Number two, they must have a court order from a judge or judicial officer. And number three, they must have exigent circumstances. Generally, exigent circumstances means, you know, there's an emergency and 
generally, not in all cases, it means that the social worker uh, actually, you know, has knowledge or personal knowledge of the abuse that's going on or the alleged abuse that's going on. Now, absent those three things, the social worker is not supposed to be able to take your child. And if the child is taken, you ha- uh, without one of those three things, you have a Fourth Amendment violation, which the social worker can be sued upon, and the county. The second type of case is where, and this happens frequently, um, where the social worker has not been honest or truthful. Let's call it what it is, where the social worker has lied. And in those cases, um, you have a 14th Amendment claim uh, to due process, to be treated fairly by the governmental actor. And when they're not treating you fairly by coming to court lying, either in a report or on the witness stand, you have the right to sue uh, that social worker and the county uh, if you're in California. The third type of case that we do um, results in a child being injured while in in a foster home. A lot of people don't know this, but children are frequently injured uh, while they're uh, put into foster homes. As one, I believe, U.S. Supreme Court case said, basically, we're warehousing children in these foster homes. And in my opinion, we should be working to get these children with uh, relatives or back to their parents. Uh, The injury of the social worker can, the injury of the child can range from being physically abused, sexually abused, emotionally abused. And yes, all of these three things happen to children who are in foster care, unfortunately. Um, I'll be talking a little bit about those cases. Um, I'm going to take one call right now from area code 818, ending in 24. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a question to ask or a story to tell? I have a story to tell. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, I have a story to tell. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Um, I was arrested uh, the day after Christmas for um, which I had no idea that uh, Children's Services was even the after me like they were um but they arrest they had me arrested by the uh sheriff's department in the area where i'm at um for child molestation okay hello i think we lost that caller I think the caller is having some technical difficulties. Yep. So we'll take another. Ma'am, are you there? Hello? Yes, are you there? Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, ma'am. Okay. Um, did you, did you, were we, did you understand that they took my daughter to the doctors that night? No, the last thing I heard you say was you were arrested by the sheriff for molestation oh, yeah. charges. That's the last thing I heard. 
Right. Um, from DCFS, it wasn't um, even the sheriff's department. It wasn't a. Uh, it was DCFS's warrant for to detain my daughter and to have me arrested. They, that night, they took my daughter to the emergency room and did a uh, the evaluation or the exam to see that my daughter had not been violated and she was in perfectly good health. She was a little dehydrated from, um, you know, she was teething and it was Christmas and she just, you know, didn't want to eat, didn't want to drink. Anyway, but nothing out of the ordinary for a child her age. Um, and then I was told that the the criminal charges, the sheriff's department came in, special victims unit, and had her examined. Um, at that point, they, I feel completely that they violated her physically um, with the sexual exam. Um, and she'd never, she's never not one day been away from me, ever. Nobody's ever done anything. You know, she barely gets changed by her own dad. And so, and so I haven't seen her since then, except for on video chats. And so all that was unfounded and they, I still haven't gotten my daughter back. I don't, I, I don't understand. First of all, I was arrested for charges that were unfounded. Then they, they, they're keeping my daughter from me. They moved her to another county with my, an older child of mine without my permission. I don't feel that I, uh, that I have my rights and they took me, they arrested me falsely without any, without any reason by listening to the, the there was a, there's a lady that's involved with my family for years that, yeah, that um, made the allegations. Apparently she's made weird allegations before on other people and me in the past, which I was unaware of. But I just don't understand why I don't have my daughter back with me. If, if it was found unfounded, what's the problem? They, I mean, the whole violating my daughter, keeping her from me, she's never been away from me, not one day in her life. And now it's been since, since uh, December 27th. Well, can I ask you a couple questions? Yes. What county do you live in? L.A. County. Okay. And have you been to court in Monterey Park or Lancaster? Lancaster. How many times? Uh, we went the first time when I was in, when they still had me in custody. I went, and then that's when I found out that I what I was be, what I had been arrested for. I didn't even know at all. They didn't tell me when I was arrested what I was arrested for. Nothing. Um, and so I'm sitting I'm sitting in the courtroom with this packet of papers that I have no idea how to understand. And being told that I don't have the rights to my daughter, or that I, there, and, and that there's no reunification order because of uh, my history, um, which they got—I don't know where they got all the information, other than maybe documentation from court proceedings, you know, prior when I was younger. But that they have no idea who I am. They hadn't talked to me. Didn't nothing. They just assumed that I am some screwed up person 
by looking at um, old records, old legal records and whatnot, and listening to other people that I don't even know who they got the information from, other than this uh, lady that's attached to my family that's a lunatic. Would you like me to give you some useful information? Yes, please. Okay. I'm going to ask you a series of very short questions. I want you to give me some very short answers, okay? Okay. All right. So how many times have you been to court since December? Uh, Once for a... um, Just once. So you've only been to court one time? Right. And then our next court date is scheduled for March. Okay. So do you know what type of hearing you have coming up in March? No, I'm unaware. Okay. Do you have a court-appointed attorney? Yes. Who I haven't heard from yet. Okay. Um, Have you tried to contact that attorney? Yes. Yes. Did you leave a message or send an email? Uh, A message. Okay. So what I this is what I'd like you to do, okay? I'd like you to go to court and Lancaster, get a copy of your last minute order. You'll need your ID. Then I want you to email it or fax it to me and call my office to make an appointment to speak to me over the phone so that I can give you some advice. Because it's unusual. Okay. It's unusual that you haven't seen your child. It's unusual that you don't know what's going on in your case. And before I can say anything else about your case, I need to review that minute order so I can put you on the right track and so that you can talk to your court-appointed attorney and get things straightened out. Okay. Okay, now, Monday the court is closed. It's a holiday, I believe. So you'll have to go Tuesday morning, 8.30, get a copy of your last-minute order. And then email it to me, call my office, make an appointment to speak to me over the phone, and I'll put you on the right track. Get a pen, and I'll give you my office telephone number. I have one, thank you. 888-888-6582. So when you get the minute order, you call that um, number on Tuesday and make the appointment, okay? Okay. Oh, one other thing. Um, I want you to make a... Is your child in foster care or with a relative? She's with a relative, but in another county. Do you I, get I don't have... Yes, I mean, we do video chatting in, on the phone, but um, I, can't, I can't even get to the, my child. I don't have the means in which to get there. Okay, my question was, do you get along with that relative? Yes. Okay, so let me tell you what the law is in uh, most of the country, including California. If your child is placed somewhere, it's the responsibility of the social workers to provide you with transportation to get to the visitation to see your child, or they have to bring the child back into the county so that you can visit with the child. Um, So the next time you communicate with your social worker, 
and, and I prefer to do that in writing via email, I'd let the social worker know that you're demanding that so that there'll be a record of it. Because in the future, if you decide to complain or sue the social worker about this, they're going to say, oh, you never called. You never even asked to visit. But this way, if it's in an email to the social worker, there's a digital copy that will, you know, last forever. Right. Right. So I look forward to I look forward to hearing you on hearing from you on Monday. Okay? Tuesday. All righty. You take care and good luck to you. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm gonna take another call. It's from area code three one seven ending in one seven. How you doing, Mr. Davis? I'm doing uh, fine, we're a return sir. call from last week. Hello? Okay, what's going on? Yes, what's going on? Okay, we're returning. Yeah, we're returning from Louisville from last week call. Louisville, Kentucky. And, okay, so what happened during okay. the week? Oh, it's been a very eventful week. Let me start off. Wednesday, we went to court on another uh, temporary removal. The judge, um, we we got a uh, another date and we was walking out of the courtroom. They didn't take the kids at the time. We were walking out of the courtroom, me and my wife, my mother-in-law, and the two kids. I, my son, my son went to use the bathroom. Me and my wife got in the elevator. So I was asking my mother-in-law, she going down with us. She did. She said she was going to stay and stay with the one uh, daughter of ours that was um, uh, upset because she had to come back to the home. So when I went down, I didn't see my son on the elevator. Still had to no contact with me and my son. My son had got on the elevator. I went down. By the time I got home, they ran back in there. My daughter ran back in the courtroom, put on a show told them that I cursed her out and my son got on the elevator with me. So they went in and reversed a whole thing and took out an ECO to take two, both of our kids, the daughter that did the lion and the son that, that was at the home. So they came out that night with an ECO saying that we deprived our child of food because of her sexuality and we are abusing her with a belt. And what my wife asked her while she was there in front of the officers while she was serving the ECO, do she want to look in the refrigerator? She refused to look in the refrigerator. I asked her, did she want to uh, discuss it with my son that, that would have been the witness to it, the 18-year-old. She refused to even talk to anybody. All she wanted to do was look in the room and see that the girl had more than enough clothes and then they packed the kids' clothes, took them over to auntie house. We went back to court yesterday. The head prosecutor in Jefferson County had to come down to clean up some of the mess. What he did, because me and my wife filed a motion to give temporary guardianship of the girl to her brother, who, where she was staying at anyway. And we filed a motion to strike down the ECO, because I had already filed an appeal to the circuit court. The whole thing was the judge knowledge, she made a mistake. She said, this is an appeal. I can't, it's out of my jurisdiction. Then she made us sit out here for four hours while they put on a show 
and had some attorney come in. They had nothing to do with the case, explaining to the judge the law. But, Your Honor, you can listen to the case because I done called up and talked to some people. They said you can do this, you can do that. I'm argumental with the judge. I'm trying to tell, tell the judge, you're violating our Fourth Amendment again. It's out of your jurisdiction. If circuit court kicks it back down for technicality, then you pick it back up or I have the chance to reaffirm it and refile it. She went on, went on. We sit out there for five hours waiting on her to call us back in. So when we got called back in, she acknowledged she's still making a mistake. They, like I said, when we walked out Wednesday, we went to the elevator. My son went to the bathroom. Me and my wife got on the elevator. The other daughter didn't want to get on the elevator, which was I didn't want her to get on it anyway because I know she was up to something because she was already just upset that she got to go back to the home. That's when she ran back, put on the show. They find they filed the ECO. We came back to court yesterday. The judge acknowledged she made a mistake with the ECO. So she granted our son back to her and granted the motion to have the girl go stay over there temper over to her temporary guardian. Uh, I have a no contact with my daughter. I have full contact visitation now with my son. And I can visit, you know, I can do whatever I, my father duties with him. But my whole question is, I'm still getting violated on my Fourth Amendment right because they won't let me question the material fact of the case, the whole material fact of the case, the court system knows the girl have lied. It's not a question, is she, did she lie? She lied on three different occasions and even lied on this occasion, which to get the ECO to move over to her auntie house. My whole question, my whole problem is, I have filed two motions for dismissal now, if the judge violated the jurisdiction, knowing that I'm at circuit court and went on and heard everything but the motion, what is my next step to do? You know, that's a very good question. And unfortunately, I'm not licensed to practice law in Kentucky, which, okay. Means, okay. That, which means that I can't tell you what to do okay. for fear of okay. me. Know, get in trouble. However, if you were in California, this is what I would tell you. You have to sit down with your court-appointed attorney and come up with a strategy so that person can support what you are doing. Well, let me say this, Mr. Now, Davis. I don't mean to cut you off. We had a private attorney. We fired him. He wasn't doing nothing. We did all our motions and everything on. He haven't did nothing for us. We fired him in court Wednesday. Is there another private attorney that you can go talk to to get at least some free advice well, about what to do? Well, that's what I was going to ask you about. Was it anybody you might know at practice law in Kentucky? I travel to go see the best attorneys. I think the whole thing is, they still want to hold me to the lies, and they and have been, and I have I have drafted up bar association charges against the attorneys because they know this girl told them she's lying. They have a ethical duty to tell the court that the child have lied, and it's no material basis to this allegation. It's affidavit. Let me tell you this: 
if you were in California, um, what the statement you just made might not be true. Um, an attorney does not have an ethical duty in California to tell the judge that their client is lying because that would create a conflict. What they might have to do in California is get off the case and have them appoint another attorney. But I don't know what the law is in, in Kentucky. But, you know, it seems like um, there is an issue with your daughter. And the last time we talked about it, you know, we talked about uh, your concerns about her uh, sexual orientation. And, you know, um, you have certain rights because she is your daughter. But on the yeah. other hand, it's a very delicate situation. On the other hand, your daughter also has rights. So okay. what I would hope, if you, if you were in California, what I would hope to see is that the three of you, mother, father, and daughter, go to some type of family counseling with a neutral person so that you can both, both sides can air out where they're coming from. But let me say this, because, Mr. Davis, I don't mean to cut you off. I don't mean to cut you off, no disrespect. We already did all that, okay. but it, it's another law that's in the CPS handbook that the parents have a right to choose whatever real, religious affiliation for their family. With us being Islam, right. we have explained it to our daughter that we can't allow homosexuality in our home. When you turn 18, then if that's what you want to practice, you have to leave our home and you're of age, you can practice that, but you can't you can't do it in our home while you're a minor. Right. I understand. That's, How a, old that's is she? the parents' right. Our rights to supersede her rights. And that's where the, the very delicate situation comes in. And I'm going to tell you something. In my opinion, um, here in California, that's a very slippery step, a slippery slope. And it's not black and white. There's a lot of factors to consider. I know everyone likes the law to be, wants the law to be black and white. We stop on red, we go on green. But in this particular sure. area, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm against you. I'm just saying it's a very delicate situation. And sometimes, you know, I get cases or I get clients that I work on, and they're trying to pound a uh, square peg in a round hole. It ain't going to fit. That's true. No matter what. So um, we've got to find another way. We've got to do a different strategy. You know, um, well, we, they call they, well, we, they, 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 go ahead. Well, let me say this. I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful or cut you off, but that's one of the reasons why we drafted uh, temporary guardianship because the auntie promotes homosexuality. If that's going to resolve this situation to send her over there and that's the lifestyle she want to live, that's the lifestyle she want to live. Consciously, with our religious belief, we cannot bow down to that lifestyle. We don't bow down to drinking, I, drugs, fornicating, permissive, none of that. So I can't consciously say if this child want to live that, and I know of it, my relationship with God is more than any relationship on this earth. So I'm never going to bow to the tenets of Islam for a child, my mother, my brother, anybody. So right. with that being that. said... I 
with that with that being said, she's over the auntie house. I wish my child the best. But see, what I'll go back to on the on the thirty first of January of this year, when the judge took tried to take our parents' rights and told us we had no rights as parents to tell our child she can't be gay. That's another argument at the at the appeal court because I went through and researched president cases on this, where parents have rights over their kids. If the parents have a religion, long as it's not in violation of any standing law. We're not in violation. Some people get, like I said, they go overboard with the religion and don't give their kids medical attention. Don't do this. Don't do that. We follow every law to the T. So we're not what you call the society call fanatics uh, overstepping the law and not giving medical attention, basic necessities, or anything that our child needs. We we have sat down and went, and like I explained to the court, I've been knowing my child been in the closet for two years. So in their affidavit, they said, I put my child out because she came out, said she was gay. No. We explained it in a counterproposal. We had other attorneys come in. It was a straight kangaroo court Wednesday. Well, like I said, it was attorneys that weren't even supposed to be in there having their input in the case. Then it got crazy once we left. The girl did a show. Then my child got taken. We got him back. The girl went over auntie house. My whole big problem with the case is it's no material basis. If you're going to listen to it, like I asked the judge, Listen to the motion. Make a ruling on the motion. She refused to listen to the motion for dismissal because of lack of material facts. And she and I, I put she out of jurisdiction. She don't have. She violated my Fourth Amendment five times, my Fifth Amendment, and my Fourteenth. You know, you may be correct, um, but here's something that I bet nobody's thought about. If the case were in California, and you might be able to argue this in Kentucky, I would argue that this court, the CPS court, doesn't even have what they call subject matter jurisdiction to get That's to what get I was saying. Subject Okay. In a dispute between a parent and child because of their sexual orientation. It could be easily argued that the law the CPS laws weren't created to deal with that situation. They were dealt, they were, um, you know, uh, written to protect children from a child, from parents who were abusing the child. Yeah. Generally, yes. when you talk about abuse, you're talking about physical abuse, you're talking about sexual abuse, uh, that type of thing. So yeah, that's, that's one of the what things I, I would argue. If I were your and that's what I was explaining. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. But that's what I was explaining in my uh, counter affidavit. And I explained it to her about subject matter. And I explained it to the GAL that y'all don't have jurisdiction over this because this is for kids that it can be not a great area of abuse. We know this was abuse, just like with the elevator incident. I can understand that's for if a child was truly abused, 
But then another thing, like I wanted to explain to the judge, and they didn't, they didn't let me talk yesterday. For four court appearances, I sat out there five hours with this child no more than five feet from me. Well, so was it a threat to any me or if it was a threat to me and my kids, why is they sitting near me? Why is that not put in a, a room with guards or put in another area where protected kids need to be instead of out in the opening? It was a couple that got in an argument out there. It was several arguments out there. They got eight bailiffs downstairs. We on the sixth floor. They got eight bailiffs downstairs joking and playing at the uh uh, at the checkpoint, why is why is this place unsecured? But you're gonna try to pull an ECO on me, saying I got on the elevator with my son. That's a kangaroo court. You there? Yeah, I was just listening to you, uh, thinking that I've heard that criticism of CPS courts uh, from people, you know, from all parts of the country. Um, but again, my, my, my advice to you is to find an attorney. You're going to have to go out and you have to do some dialing, do some talking to a lot of people, sitting down with, you know, different attorneys to find the right attorney that can represent you and your family to settle and resolve this situation. Okay. Okay. I mean, okay. You're doing good now. You're doing good now. But that don't mean that you're going to always be doing good in court. And that's why I say you need to get the help and advice of an attorney, of a licensed attorney there in Kentucky to help you with this case. But is there any kind of way, do your office know any attorney in Kentucky? Off the top of my head, know anyone in Kentucky. But here's what you can do. But y'all got my information, and I can call y'all and and try to see do your people have called me before. And I asked them before do if they have any good attorney they can refer in to Kentucky, and me and my wife will go and sit down and try to investigate them because everybody say they're good. I'm going to be honest with you. They're not good. Too many hands in each pocket, people are not good. Right, I know what you mean. Well, listen, I will I will do some research for you. And okay. um, I I will try to find somebody that may be helpful for you there in Kentucky. What city are you in? We're in Louisville, Kentucky, Jefferson County, Kentucky. Okay, so that's the county there in Kentucky. Let me yeah, see that's, that's the biggest call. county in Kentucky. It's the biggest county in Kentucky, sitting right on the Indiana line. Let me see so if I can a lot make of time. Yes, a lot of times if Indiana attorneys is licensed in Louisville because they're so close. They uh-huh, have both okay. licenses. So if you most sometimes it would be Indiana, a lot of good Indiana attorneys have licenses in Louisville because Louisville, Louis, between Louisville and Indianapolis is about 100 miles apart. So I, I know attorneys, several attorneys practice from, from Louisville to Indianapolis all day long. They travel that. That's where they, most of their business is at. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, sir, I would like you to keep us updated. Uh, call in, you know, after your next court appearance and give us an update on what's happening. I, I find this case very interesting, very interesting case. Yes, it is. It is. And then I will keep you updated. 
And uh, if your people find out uh, any good attorney, please refer to me and my wife, and we will definitely keep you updated if we hire them on or if, you know, we feel comfortable with them or, you know, you know, just we're going to do our own referral. We got friends out here that's doing referrals for us and looking for good attorneys because, like I said, every attorney that advertised that they're great, they do this, they do that, it's a whole different story. We was very disappointed with ours, and like I said, um, we have some issues that we still have to resolve with him. Okay. All right, sir. Well, good so, luck, Kentucky, and I hope to hear from you soon. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. You know, one of the things that I get time is uh, requests for attorneys in other states or counties. I think I'm going to start a database um, of attorneys who we have talked to or vetted in some way uh, so that people from all over the country can be referred to attorneys that handle these matters. This last gentleman asked me for a referral in Louisville, Kentucky. And unfortunately, I don't know anyone in Louisville, Kentucky. And I only know one person who's from Louisville, Kentucky. And um, she happens to be a CPS attorney who represents social workers. I'm going to take the next call from area code 951, ending in 42. Good morning, Arnold. Vincent. Hello. Did you have a story or a question to ask? I do. Um, I've been in a CPS case for a year now, and my children are um, with a family member. And um, every time we go to court, the judge will, um, you know, give me permission for certain things and specify to the caretaker instructions, and um, none of it is being followed through and there's nobody to um, enforce or regulate what the judge is saying in court. And I'm frustrated. When is your, when was your last court date and when is your next court date? My last one um, was a couple of weeks ago and my next one is a trial March 22nd. And 23rd, he said it for two days. All right. Are you keeping a log of what the social worker is? Yes, a very detailed log. Why don't you tell me some examples about what the social worker is not doing? Sure. So since the beginning, one of the things in the case plan was family counseling between the children and I. And... um, I've had so many different social workers on my case and every time they get on the case, um, they will not just go off of the notes from the last one. They literally start their investigation all over again. And I understand it's on them. However, uh, when you've been going through this for a year, it's a bit frustrating. Um, Also, I'm supposed to have my visits increased with frequency and duration. That also has not happened. Um, I'm supposed to have phone calls with my children to where the caretakers are not to answer, the children are. And um, 
that does not happen. The Hold children do not answer. Hold on a second. Let me let, let's take these one at a time. The first one you said was you're supposed to have conjoint counseling, and the social worker won't set that up. Is that correct? Had has yet to set that up. Correct. Okay, so let me ask you something. What type of visits do you have with your children right now? I have one visit unsupervised per week for only four hours. Okay, when you say unsupervised, does that mean that someone has to be around in the area or do you get just to take your children out to McDonald's or the park or whatever without anyone being I get there? to. I get to, unsupervised, I get to pick them up from school by myself. I get to drive them and return them after four hours of being with them, doing what I want. But it can only be me by myself with my children. Okay. So for your next court case, I want to make sure that you're taking pictures and videos to use at your trial. But I was digressing a bit. I'll get back to making the social worker start the counseling. The reason why the social worker hasn't started the conjoint counseling is because she's going to strategically use that against you at the time of trial to keep the children from coming home to you. Now, what you have to do is you have to look at the minute order to see exactly what the minute order says regarding your conjoint counseling. A lot of times well, the me, social oh, worker discuss she discusses it outside of the courtroom. Okay, but discussions outside of the courtroom aren't going to help you at the time of trial. Correct. Because she's just gonna, she's just going to deny it or say you misunderstood. So forget about everything that you thought you knew about the case. I'm going to tell you. You need to look at the minute order that specifically says conjoint counseling for you and the children. Now, here's what the social, I bet what the minute order actually says, that you're supposed to have conjoint counseling with your children when deemed appropriate. Now, that's very vague, and it means who's supposed to deem it appropriate, the children's counselor or the children's social worker? The social workers are always going to argue that it's them that's supposed to deem it appropriate. Therefore, they cannot give you, they can try to justify not giving you the conjoint counseling. However, most judges are going to see through that ploy because it's an old ploy and an old strategy used by CPS workers and their attorneys. So, I wouldn't be too concerned about that because, and this is the big because, you have uns unmonitored visits, okay? You actually have to take your children out. And so if there was going to be a problem where you and the kids needed conjoint counseling, um, they wouldn't let you do that, and the judge wouldn't have ordered that. So I wouldn't be concerned about it, and at the next court hearing at the trial, that's what your attorney should argue. Now, the other thing that has to be important at the next court hearing is your children have to be brought in to testify 
so that they can explain to the judge through questioning and answering that they're not a, they're not afraid of you. They don't have any concerns with your relationship with them and that they want to return home. All of that will make that requirement of conjoint counseling go away because you're actually going to flip the script on the social worker. Do you follow what I'm saying? I do. I don't agree with you. Um, I okay. feel that the children okay, are on. in a place where they're being. Okay. Hold on. I want to go over the three things that you mentioned. I know there's a lot of other things, a lot of collateral other things probably going on with your kids because you don't have your children, but I would just want to focus on those three things for the listeners. The second thing that you said was that the social worker is supposed to be increasing your visits. Now, I would bet a dollar that that's not what the the court order says. The court order says something like, the social worker has the discretion to increase your visits. Now, if that's what the court order says, the social worker can always say, hey, I refuse to use my discretion, which the social worker can do, legally do. You may not like that, but the social worker can legally do that. But at the time of trial, when you put on your witnesses, It'll be shown that the social worker has abused her discretion by not allowing visitation. And in my opinion, in front of most fair juvenile dependency judges, that's going to work against the social worker and work for you in terms of returning the children back to you. Do you understand what I just said? Yes, I do. Now, there was a third... Okay, so there was a third thing that you mentioned, and I'm sorry. It had to do with um, it had to do with the phone calls um, and like school events. Well, generally, juvenile judges don't make orders with respect to phone call visitation that is uh, put forth in a minute order. They just say something like, you're entitled to have phone conversations or phone visits with your children. And that's... That's the last... Go ahead. Are you okay? At the last court court hearing, um, the judge, uh, the other attorneys... um, for CPS, we're trying to have it to where my visits went back to supervised and that there were no phone calls with my children because of the caretakers creating um, issues. However, the judge said no, that the phone calls are to continue to take place. He told the caretakers who were sitting behind me they are not to answer the phone, that the children are, because for all he knows, the caretakers can be saying, um, you know, you do not want to talk to your mother. And then when the phone is answered, the caretaker says, the children don't want to talk to you. And that's a lie. When the children hear my voice on the phone, they yell, you know, mommy, mommy, we want to talk to mommy. And then they'll talk to me for uh, 20 minutes to an hour, as long as they're allowed before the phone is ripped out of their hands and they're told they have to get off the phone. 
Okay. So <clears throat> the caretakers aren't allowing the children to answer the phone. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Nor to even be around when I do call. They'll be upstairs or not even at home. Um, the judge also said to make sure that there's a time set. So I worked with the social worker and the caretaker to set up specific times. And uh, I call at those times, and sometimes nobody's even home. And I have no way of getting a hold of my children. And my daughter told me my last visit on Thursday, so two days ago, that they won't even be in town this weekend which will be when my phone calls take place. And I'm yet to be told that by the caretaker. So when I call the house this weekend and there's nobody there, now what? I'm documenting, of course. One of the things that I want you to do is make sure you document everything because at your next court hearing, what you said is a trial. All of this is going to be brought up. And it sounds like um, I don't want to give you any false hopes or expectations, but it sounds like the judge is on your side, you know, if that's what yes. he's saying. Yeah, and he's seeing through all of this. He's probably an experienced judge, and he's seeing through all of this. So at the time of the hearing, you and your attorney just have to put on the evidence necessary for you to get your children back and or get more liberalized visitation with the ch children. It sounds like the caretaker is thwarting or interfering with family reunification services. And if the judge, you know, if m most juvenile judges, if they find that out, they're going to be very, very concerned, probably upset about this, and be more likely to move the children back to you or to another placement. So The judge did say that. Case, he did tell the caretaker that at the, at the last court hearing, that did. this the children are being reunified, this is a reunification case, and that they are interfering and they need to stop. Well, you know, most caretakers, especially if they're, you know, relative caretakers who have other thoughts and ideas about how things should go, they're not going to listen to the judge about that. What, what you should do, though, is you should send an email to your attorney and tell your attorney to order the transcript of the last court hearing so that your attorney can read the judge's words back to the judge and remind the judge that he said these things to the caretakers while they were sitting in court at the last hearing. And most judges uh, who are reminded of things like that will uh, not be happy with those caretakers. And of course, that will be reflected in the decision in your case about getting your children back or getting further uh, unmonitored or overnight weekend visits with your children. So send your, you send your attorney that email to uh, order that transcript and uh, so that you can use it at the time of the next hearing. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Ma'am, I want to thank you for your call and keep listening. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, before we end the show today, I want to get back to uh, what we were discussing at the beginning of the show and that's uh, civil rights cases against social workers. So I want to tell you about a case that we did last year um, regarding social workers uh, violating the civil rights of parents. In this particular case, a social worker took two children from a parent uh, based upon the fact that 
another child in the home died. Now, at first blush, you say, okay, I, you know, we can understand that. That probably should have been done. The problem was that the child that died was an infant, a very young infant. And within one or two days, uh, the doctors at a very prominent hospital in Los Angeles notified the social workers and the police, because there was a police investigation, that the cause of the death of the child was something called sudden infant death syndrome. Uh, in other words, uh, I mean, it's known as SIDS, but in other words, uh, the parent or nobody in the home caused the death of the child. Therefore, there was no child abuse. Therefore, the children that were taken away from the mother should be returned. Uh, but that's not what happened. Instead of that happening, when the social workers found that out, they canceled the juvenile dependency court hearing. Uh, which would have, where the mother would have been assigned a court-appointed attorney, and which would have um, required the return of the children from the, uh, to the mother and probably the, the dismissal of the case because there was no child abuse. The child died of a, con a medical condition called sudden infant death syndrome. You can Google it. So they canceled the court hearing. The papers were actually drawn up. They canceled the court hearing, but they didn't give the, ch uh, the children back to the mother for approximately eight months. They coerced the mother into signing a voluntary plan, which said the children would remain out of the, her home. However, that plan says that at any time the parent could change her mind and the children would have to be returned home, or they would take the mother to court to try to get a court order the children out of her custody. So there became a big argument in the case about whether the mother actually returned, asked for the return of her children after she signed that voluntary plan. We ended up taking the videotape testimony of one of the workers who worked on the case, uh, after um, the mother signed that voluntary plan. And we asked that worker, hey, did the mother ever ask for the children to be returned? And the worker, to my sh shock and amazement, said, yes, she asked many times for the children to be returned. She was always calling, asking the children to be returned. At that point, what the social workers had to do was return the children or take the mother to court to try to get a court order to keep the children away from her. Well, neither was done. Um, they actually required the social uh, the mother to do some what they call family reunification services, uh, included drug testing, uh, some individual counseling, parenting, things of that nature. Now, you may ask, why does a social worker do this? Well, the reason why the social workers have an incentive, a financial incentive to do this, is because they get paid by the federal government and the state of California to provide services to families, services to families that, eat, that don't even need the services. Uh, so the, the important point becomes, not are we trying to protect children, but how are we going to make money off of this case? And so this lady didn't get her children back uh, for seven or eight months. 
Um, she went to a very prominent lawyer who was going to file a civil rights case. Um, and he called me to help him out with the case. I took over the case. I filed the case. Um, and the case was resolved for $999,999. Yes, it was a dollar short of being $1 million. I think just as a matter of principle, they didn't want to give that to the family. So that is an example of a family uh, striking back and suing the social workers for doing something uh, that is not uh, legal under the Constitution of the United States. I also want to tell you that we took the, ended up taking the videotape deposition of another social worker who admitted, and, I, and I'm going to be posting this probably on social media and our website soon, but this social worker admitted that she made statements that weren't true under penalty of perjury. On the street, we call that lying. But she admitted to doing this um, in documents filed with the court. And as a result of that, uh, I had my office draw up a motion to have that social worker monetarily sanctioned, evidentiary sanctioned, and uh, to uh, strike her answer because what she was doing was participated in, in my opinion, as a fraud against the court. Uh, before that motion could be heard by the, the United States District Court judge, uh, the case was settled. Um, so the moral of that story is social workers don't always tell the truth. Social workers file paperwork that they know is not true. And in that deposition, the social worker testified that she knew what she was filing and signing under penalty of some of those things were not true. So if you ever have a problem with social workers and you believe they're not telling the truth either in court or in court reports, please give us a call. We may be able to help you. Next week, we're going to be talking about trials in the juvenile dependency court that work in the juvenile dependency court. Refer to them as contested hearings or more than saying that you're having a trial where both sides should be presenting evidence, putting on witnesses, um, bringing documents, exhibits, videos, pictures to court, and using them to help make the judge um, make a decision. A lot of times what happens is people do trials in juvenile court by way of argument. When that happens, you as the parent are always going to lose because there's no evidence presented by your side. In California, and in most states, argument by an attorney is not evidence. It's not evidence. So don't think that you can win if you're proceeding but in a contest by way of argument. I want to thank everybody for listening this morning, and we'll see you next week 